Okay, we are in Lesson 31. We're winding down. We're getting into that last third of the book. And we're in Chapter 21 today. We're looking at verse 24 this morning, so I want you to look with me at 24. And I want you to see what it says there. Verse 24 says this, A proud and haughty man... Scoffer is his name. He he acts with arrogant pride. Now, here is the point I want you to see. Three words for pride describe the mocker. There's three words for pride that describe the mocker or scoffer. Proud, arrogant, and pride. Those are three words that describe a mocker or a a scoffer. Is that they are proud, they're arrogant, and pride. Now, for instance, if you look on, it seems like all the time you can look on television, or even now, uh, somebody was telling me, uh, they, they are into YouTube. For those of you who have computers, they're into YouTube, where there's a guy on YouTube who is basically going through the Bible talking about how wrong it is. Now, the attitude that he has as he goes through the Bible like he's starting in Genesis to prove that everything in the Bible is wrong, is is that he's marked by one thing. He's marked by arrogance. And you'll see that. When you see guys who are mocking or who are trying to debunk or they're atheists or whatever, well-known atheists, you'll notice that these three words are pretty much a characteristic of who they are. They're either proud or they, they have a lot of pride or they're arrogant. Arrogance is usually the biggest one. And so Solomon is making a point here that this is a scoffer. A scoffer is marked by these character traits, the issue of pride. Look now at verse 25. We're going to look at the issue of laziness. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Here's the point. The lazy man comes to ruin because they desire the easy way out. The lazy man comes to ruin because they desire the easy way out. How many of you have met a lazy guy like that where he just takes the easiest way out and always has problems because he didn't do the work? That's the whole point. A lazy man comes to ruin because he seeks the easy way out. Now, isn't that the way our culture is today also? Nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody. We have little patience for hard times. Have you noticed that? We have little patience for hard times. Look now at verse 26. Here's the issue of generosity. He covers greedily all day long. He's talking again about the lazy man. But the righteous gives and does not spare. Here's the point I want you to see. Generosity reveals righteousness. A lazy man is just going to be thinking about himself. He's not going to give anybody anything. But... A righteous person, one of the marks of a righteous person is what? Being generous. And let me just stop for a moment, because some pastors will take that verse and say, you know what, generosity means that that means you're going to give here. A mark of your spirituality is how much you put in this plate. You know, that is a half-truth. Because it actually, in Proverbs, is not talking about the offering. What it's talking about is your generosity to others around you. 
It's your generosity to everybody else around you, not just the offering. Because I want you to remind you of something. When this was written, what they had was a temple. They had a temple. And it's not like they had a weekly offering at the temple, as far as financial giving. What they had was, is when they talk about generosity here, is you being generous with what you have to the needs of others around you. And that type of generosity marks a righteous person. That's a mark of spirituality, is that you are going to be generous to others. In fact, here, parallel passage, go all the way in your mind, all the way over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And in there, Paul talks about giving as a grace. Giving as a grace. And that is that he is the one who gives you, gives to you so that you can give to others. And as you give to others, he gives you more so that you can give to others. I would dare say that maybe the reason why sometimes we don't have as much as we would like is because we don't give. And as we give, God gives us more. See, because why? Generosity reveals a righteous character. It reveals spirituality. Look now at verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? Here's the point I want you to see. God hates worship without righteousness. God hates worship without righteousness. Here, I've said this to you before. What's the number one thing that people say about people who go to church? Hypocrites. Church is filled with hypocrites. Why do they say that? Is that just something they made up on their own? Is that just something they made up on their own? No, why? Why, why is it? Why, why? Is that something we've earned? Yeah, it's something we've, it's a reputation we've earned. Why? Because maybe they see a guy who comes to church, he's pious at church, but he, when it comes to his business, how is he as a businessman? Yeah, a snake or a crook. That's right. Or how is he as a boss? What about a worker? Not just a boss, but a worker. You know, here's my point. I want you to see is we've earned it. But here's what I want you to see. Now, that's the world's perspective. The world looks at it and says, well, they're just nothing but hypocrites. Proverbs is giving us a glimpse of God's perspective. So when that guy who's out there and he's, he's, he's a boss who is not a good boss, or he's a businessman who's cheating, you know, or something else, the point I want you to see is, is that so he comes to church and he gives a big check or he prays a big prayer or he, he's, everybody looks up to him as being prominent in the church. God looks at it and says this. What does he say? Look with me at what he says at verse 27. He says this. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I don't think we understand what the word abomination means. Here, I'll give you another word. The sacrifice of the wicked is disgusting. That's the point. God views that person's religious service, that person's worship, as disgusting. 
And notice something. He even goes one step further. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? So you have somebody whose character is like that. Oftentimes, his service in a church is often for his own benefit. Not for the benefit of the others, but maybe he's doing it to lift himself up, to look good, or whatever. God says, not only is it disgusting, it's even more disgusting when his service is done with wicked, what? Intent. You see the point there? You see the point there? So, I mean, that really keeps it in perspective. So, we, we know that the world says it's full of hypocrites. God says, it's disgusting to me. It's disgusting. Okay, let's go on now. Look at the issue of speech. Verse 28. A false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. Here's the point I want you to see. Both the false witness and others who follow his line will be destroyed. It's not just the guy who is saying lies, but those who listen and accept the lies, they're going to have problems too. That's the whole point I want you to see there. They're going to have problems too. Look now at the issue of righteousness, verse 29. We're talking a lot about righteousness today. A wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. Here's the point. The wicked tries to persuade people to believe him. But the righteous seeks to be honest. Here's his face. He hardens his face. That, that whole description there is, is that he's trying to convince someone. Yes, a poker face. That's exactly right, Bruce. A poker face. He's, you know, a wicked person is always going to spend a lot of time saying, you know, Sam, you can trust me. I, I don't really care what you've heard, but you and I are special, and you can trust me, buddy. You know, you, you can trust me. And they're always trying to convince people that they're okay. You know, Bruce, it doesn't really matter what my reputation is, but you know, you and I go back a long way, and you know, you know, I'll be there for you. You can just trust me, you know? Yes, good icon. Have that poker face. Harden that face, you know? And, and here's the other aspect of it. Harden the face and trying to keep from laughing. Because on the inside, he knows what? Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's, yes, that's exactly right. But here's what the issue is. The honest person, though, he doesn't have to convince anybody. The righteous person doesn't have to spend a lot of time convincing anyone because a righteous person is going to do what's, what? Right. And so, your trust in me has nothing to do with my eloquence in saying, hey, trust me, buddy. Okay? It has to do with your observing me. What? You're observing me and my actions and my honesty and my dealing and my reputation. We're going to talk about reputation later in a few more verses from here. But see, that's the whole point. See, here's the thing. Can I be honest with you? There's a word of caution here. So oftentimes what will happen with us, and it's happened to me, is we'll get duped. We'll know. Let me give you, I'll, I'll take an example here. I'll pick on somebody. Uh, I'll pick on Art. Okay. Let's say Art's a scoundrel. 
He isn't, but let's say he is. He's got a terrible reputation around town. And let's say he does this hardening of the face thing with me. He, he puts on his good poker face. And in my heart of heart, I got questions about art. I just have heard too many things, and not just from one person, but from a lot of people, from different sectors of the community, who are saying, man, you need to be careful when you deal with art. But art gives me that poker face. He gives me that hardened face. He, he puts on a good front and says, oh, George, you can, you can trust me. So I get in some financial dealings with art. Even against my own gut feeling. And guess what? I lose. He's laughing. Now, who's the problem? Is it art? art? Yeah, art is a problem. But ultimately, it's me because I neglected what? What everybody else, the wisdom of others, and was duped by his what? His hardening of his face, his poker face, his trust me, you know? I mean, I've fallen for that. Oh, how many of you have fallen for that? All of us have, haven't we? See, that's the point that Proverbs is trying to make to us, is we need to be warned about that kind of behavior. All right, look now at verse 30 and 31, the issue of the sovereignty of God. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against God. Verse 31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Two things I want you to see here. Human wisdom is no match against God's wisdom. I don't really care how big the brains are in our society. That could say that it can come up and prove this, or, or they, for, like for instance, remember, I was just I was listening to uh, something just a year ago. Remember, they said they found the bone box of Jesus? didn't really matter that Jesus was a common name at that time period, but they figured this was the bone box. If you notice, they don't talk about that anymore. Because the fact is, is that human wisdom is not going to be able to match God's wisdom anyhow. In fact, Paul says this, another parallel passage. If you go over just a little bit further, another parallel passage is all the way in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about that the foolishness of God, that God could be foolish, his foolishness is greater than all of human wisdom. And that's the point that Solomon is making here, is that no one, notice what he says there, no wisdom, no understanding or counsel against God. There's no way that you can ever do or do anything against God by human wisdom, because his wisdom is greater. And you listen to this. In fact, over and over in the Bible, it talks about how God laughs. He thinks it's ridiculous how human beings rebel against him and the stuff they say. In fact, it's almost interesting. You can picture that in the judgment, those folks, those scoffers, are going to stand before the God that they said didn't exist, and they knew didn't exist. And you almost want to be there to say, well, there he is. What do you say now? Well, we already know what they say. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. See, there's no, no human wisdom. Here's another aspect of the sovereignty of God. 
Uh, we see that in verse 31. Ultimate success, ultimate success comes from God and not from human efforts. Ultimate success comes from God and not human efforts. That's the sovereignty of God. Ultimate success comes from God and not human efforts. So right now, we're in the midst of the election campaign world. If your guy or your person doesn't make it in November, does that mean the world's upside down? Does that mean God stepped off the throne? See, the point is, is that God's in control. Ultimate success comes from God, not from human effort. That's true of everything. And you and I need to recognize that aspect of the sovereignty of God. All right, look now. We're going to look at the issue of reputation. We're in chapter 22. Look at verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And loving favor rather than silver and gold. Here's the point I want you to see. A good reputation is more valuable than wealth. I think all of us know that, don't we? The reputation you have with others should mean more to you than how big your bank account is or the stuff you have. That's called integrity. The reputation you have You know, in fact, it reveals something in a person's character. If they don't really care what others say about them, now let me just stop for a moment because I've got to qualify that because you can care too much about what others say and that can defeat you. But if you're not concerned about your reputation as a whole in the community, but you're just concerned about your bottom line, that reveals something about you. What Solomon is saying here is don't be concerned about your bottom line be concerned about how your name is spoken of in the city in the city square. That you are a person who says, when somebody says Sam Work, they say, Sam Work is a great guy, he's a hard worker, and he has a good reputation. Or someone says, Tracy is a great gal, you can't have a better person than Tracy. Now, we've heard other people say things that are not nice. Which would you rather have? See, that's the point. It's more valuable to have a reputation in the community of having a good name than to have wealth. That's the whole point here. And even notice something, he even takes it one step further and says loving favor. That What that means is, is you not just have a good reputation, but your reputation is such that others will honor you. They'll trust you. They'll give favor to you. Your reputation is more important than wealth. Look at now the issue of sovereignty of God again. Verse 2. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Notice something here. Regardless of the status of life, all are God's creation. Now, some of you need to hear that because some of you are so defeated because you think, well, you know, because I'm not, 
I'm not having the stuff that I should have or or I'm not I don't have the lifestyle that maybe somebody else that you know has the lifestyle and whatever. And so God must not really care for me. I must be out of I must be the redheaded stepchild in God's family. What I want you to see here, Proverbs says, it doesn't matter what your status in life is, rich and poor, God is the maker of them all. You are a unique creation. And he loves you. He loves everyone the same. He loves everyone the same. And so you need to grasp that reality. Look now at verse 3, the issue of wisdom. Look at the verse 3. A prudent man perceives evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Now here, I want you to listen to what it says. Those who are shrewd, those who are shrewd, avoid the dangers of life. Those who are shrewd avoid the dangers of life, whereas the simple do not see it. Those who are shrewd avoid the dangers of life, whereas the simple Do not see it. So what's the point of this proverb? The point of this proverb is that you and I need to be men and women of wisdom who are evaluating the landscape. And what do I mean by that? You are aware of the times. You are aware of things that are happening. And you're going to make decisions based upon what's happening out of wisdom. And you're going to avoid dangers. You're going to avoid possible problems. But a simple person, an immature person, isn't going to consider stuff with wisdom. He's just going to go do it, and guess what? He has problems. He has problems. That's the point I want you to see here. Wisdom, when you look at the situation around you, view it with wisdom and avoid problems. But the immature, he doesn't look at it with wisdom. Guess what he has? Problems. Difficulties, struggles. Okay, let's go on now. The issue of piety. Verse 4. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now, here's the point. You can mark this down. Fearing God and righteous living bring wealth, honor, and life. Fearing God and righteous living. Can I be honest with you? The two go hand in hand. You can't live righteously without fearing God. Does everybody understand me? Because the one leads into the other. It's the fear of God, a reverence for God, a, a reverential, holy fear of a great creator who's in charge that leads you to righteous living. And then that produces in your life, what? Wealth. Now, when I say wealth, we're not talking about Hollywood rich, but it produces stability. It produces life. So I want you to see that. Look now at verse 5, the issue of security. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse, but he who guards his soul will be far from them. The wicked will have problems. A wise person is cautious and avoids the wicked's path. Now, notice something. Here's the point. We've seen already now, this is the second verse, where it talks about an interesting character trait of those who are wise. Anybody know what that character trait is? A wise person, what I want you to see here, if you want to write this down in your margin, is cautious. A wise person is cautious. They're going to consider the different aspects of everything before they move out. 
But a wicked person, is he going to be considering anything? No, he's just going to do his thing. And so he ends up having problems. Look now at verse 6, the issue of family. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this verse, I have to spend a little bit of time here. This verse is often quoted, and I'm going to use the word misquoted by folks today, especially Christians. How is this verse often quoted? Okay, did you hear what you're If they're in church, they'll always stay in church. How many of you have heard it that way or a variation of that? All right, I don't want to burst your bubble, but that is not what it means. Because here's what I have seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my own family. Where maybe somebody goes wrong, or somebody even dies, and they'll say, I know that they're in heaven. Why? Train up a child in the way he shall go, and he shall not depart from it. They'll say, well, he was in church as a child. And he was trained better than that. He was trained in the Lord. He was The gospel was there, and he knew the gospel. And so he's okay. First of all, that is not what the verse is saying. Now, how do you know that? Because what we're doing is we're taking a verse that was written in the Old Testament, forgetting the context of the verse, and trying to make it mean something to us as Christians today. And here's the point. Whenever you take the text out of the context, you're left with a what? A con. And a lot of folks are conning themselves with this verse. And you say, what do you mean by that? For instance, let me give you the historical background for a moment. This proverb was written to who? First of all. Jews. Let me ask you a question. Was there any way for a Jew to leave Judaism? Was there? When you read through the Old Testament, do you read any about any Jew leaving Judaism? No. You don't leave Judaism. So the issue isn't faith. See, we're using it today in, t- in terms of faith. If we train them up in the faith, they won't depart from the faith. Everybody understand me? To the Jew who's reading this, this has nothing to do with their faith. Their faith is their identity. They were born a Jew. They're always a Jew. They're a Jew. That's true even today. They don't leave the faith. So this verse has nothing to do with faith. What it is, though, you're in an agrarian culture, and what this verse has to do with is with their training with regards to their life or the job they're going to have. So here's the point I want you to see. Proper training of a child will endure through his life. That's the point. This verse, as many scholars feel, for instance, if let's say Bruce is my son, and I'm a shepherd, and I train him up to be what? Will he depart from it? No. And in that culture, you would see a shepherd family wouldn't all of a sudden have some guy say, I'm going to be a lawyer. Very rarely would that happen. Why? Mostly, if you were raised in a shepherd family, guess what you're doing? Taking care of sheep. You know, that's the whole point. The training you give your child, that's what's going to last with them. That's the whole point of the verse has nothing to do with faith. has nothing to do with faith. And I, you know what? It disappoints me so often because I hear people quote that verse 
And it's a false hope that they live with, especially if their child or their relative lived in such a way that doesn't reflect anything. And so they, they, they have this, and really in their heart of hearts, they maybe even know, but they're just holding on to this verse. But this verse has never meant that. It's only here in our culture that we have embraced that kind of teaching. See, we're trying to Christianize a verse that isn't really what that means. So if I've disappointed you, I'm sorry. I just want you to realize that is not what the verse is saying. Okay, let's go on. Poverty, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. What a point of reality. Here's the point. A rich person may lord it over a poor person, and a lender is a master of the borrower. You ever notice that? That's even true in our society. You borrow money from somebody, who is in charge? Yeah, the, the borrower. I mean, the lender. Yes, the lender is in charge. So that's the point that we see there. Look now at verse 8, the issue of punishment. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fall. Here's the point I want you to see. God will surely destroy the power of the wicked. God will surely destroy the power of the wicked. Now, does this necessarily mean it's going to happen in, that, in, in the earthly lifetime of that person? Because it seems like there's an awful lot of wicked people who seem to be, what, getting away with it. Does it mean that it's not going to happen if they live and die all of a sudden and nothing ever happened to them here? They died, and then what does that mean? Yeah, and so, and he will what? He will deal with them. So, there is a point here, and, and see, my, why do I keep reiterating it, reiterating that? And here's the reason why I keep doing that, is because so often we get frustrated with saying, God, why do these people get away with stuff? And we get angry with God that he seems to let these people get away with it. But my friends, I want you to understand that God's timing of dealing with things is different than our timing. And the bottom line is, is with the wicked, are they going to get away with it? No! That's the point I want you to see. Okay, look at the issue now, verse 9, generosity. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Now, all right, here, I want you to put a star by this verse. Again, we're talking about the issue of generosity. Here's the point. There is a reward for being generous to the poor. Remember I talked to you before about this attitude. I see it in churches a lot today, and especially among a lot of Christians is as well. The reason they're like that is because they made poor decisions, and I'm not going to enable them, and they use words like that, enable them to continue on in doing the stuff they're doing because it isn't going to help them. And you know what? There may be some truth to what you're saying, but I want you to see something. That's a cultural perspective that you're communicating. That's not a biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is God says, be generous to who? Those in need around you. And guess what? If you're generous to those who are in need around you, you'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded. God will take care of you. And so that's the point I want you to see there. Look now at the issue of strife, verse 10. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yet strife and reproach will cease. Now here's a good verse for churches in general. Listen to this. By removing... 
by removing a troublemaker who causes strife, trouble also leads. There's a point in which if you've got a situation, and this sometimes happens in our circle of churches, where you have somebody who is stirring up problems. Proverbs, and the wise thing the proverb says is, look, you need to deal with that individual and get rid of them. Cast them out of your midst. And when you do, guess what happens? What happens? Problems don't, problems don't stop. Problems stop, excuse me. They do stop. The trouble ceases. So I think there's a point where you try to deal with them and correct them, but if they're not going to be corrected, but if they're going to keep causing problems, staying around festering like an old wound, you need to cauterize it. You need to deal with it, and guess what? The problem stops. So that's a good verse for us to grasp a hold of there. Okay, look at the issue of speech now. We're going to try to wrap up here real quick. Look at verse 11. He who loves purity of heart has grace on his lips, and the king will be his friend. Here's the point I want you to see. Honest and gracious speech, honest and gracious, gracious speech will be highly respected. Honest and gracious speech will be highly respected. And notice something. Where does that honest speech come from? Look at what it says there. Comes from what? Purity of the heart. Remember what Jesus said? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So you want to talk to, you want to know somebody about the character of a person? Who they are on the inside? All you have to do is listen to them, not short term, but long term, over a long period of time, and it'll reveal to you who they are as a person by just listening. Because out of the purity of the heart comes graciousness and honesty. Okay, let's, let's go on for a moment. Sovereignty of God again. Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. Here's the point. The Lord ensures that truth and not deception succeeds. The Lord ensures that truth and not deception succeeds. And again, that's according to his timetable. Look now at verse 13, laziness. The lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. Here's what he's saying. A lazy man makes absurd excuses for not working. A lazy man makes absurd excuses for not working. He doesn't make excuses for sleeping. But he'll make it, you know, I can't go out there. It's really cold. You know? Or, my leg is hurting today. And so they'll make excuses for not working. So that's what a lazy man does. Three more verses here. Verse 14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Here's the point. Divine judgment brings ruin on the adulterer. Here's the point. I want you to see something here. Over and over in the Bible, I want you to listen to me. There is something, I know God doesn't grade things, all sin is sin to God. But over and over, especially in Proverbs, Proverbs will make this point 
that there is something different about the sin of adultery and how God deals with it. And that it's a reproach, remember when we looked at it earlier, it's a reproach that cannot be taken away. I mean, yeah, there is forgiveness, but what I want you to see is the issue of adultery, even God deals with that specifically in his judgment. There's something different about that. There is something different about the whole issue of adultery. And I think it reflects something spiritually within a person. Okay, Because oftentimes, you'll notice something, God will, will liken immorality and adultery to unbelief. And so he judges it because it is a reflection of unbelief. Let's go on. The issue of discipline. Verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. We've heard this before. Discipline will remove a child's bent to folly. Discipline will remove a child's bent to folly. Here's my point. I want you to understand something. Over and over in Proverbs, the purpose of discipline is specifically corporal punishment. And what I mean by that is like spanking. The purpose of it is not to just lash out at the child. The purpose of discipline in Proverbs is to develop a child's what? Character. To develop a child's character. So we got one more verse here. Look at verse 16. And here's what he says. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Here's the point. Punishment, punishment for extortion and bribery is poverty. Punishment for extortion and bribery is poverty. Here's the point he's making. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, that's the issue of extortion. He who gives to the poor, that's the issue of bribery, will what? Surely come to poverty. So you see there, there's going to be consequences for that behavior. Okay, this concludes this section of Proverbs, Proverbs exalting righteous living. Next week, we're going to enter into a new section which is the sayings of the wise. And so next week, I'm going to tell you who the wise are. And so we're going to spend several weeks looking at the sayings of the wise.